Welcome. Great to see you at Destiny North. How cool is that? Give everyone a high five. The person next to you say, isn't this cool? So excited to be here. This, is a, this has been a, a long time in coming. This has been a, a kind of several month build up. I just want to say, um, I, I'm sure you'd want to join me in showing appreciation, but there's a number of people here who've put a lot into just making today happen. So I know Pete, Alex, Jude and Vishal. Jude and Vishal couldn't be here, unfortunately, today, but, but Pete and Alex, Jude and Vishal, uh, the guys on the media, uh, the kids workers, Mark's been ordering stuff behind the scenes. Uh, I saw his tweet last night. He's got everything together with the, with the PA stuff, the kids workers, the caring folks. You know what? It's a huge amount of work goes on. Johnny and Hannah are running the kids ministry. A lot of volunteers, a lot of hard work and effort and a lot of love and a lot of, it's actually all worship to God really, has gone into making this happen. So put your hands together and show appreciation to, to the folks. Uh, and you know, this, this, this venue's great. We're going to be here for uh, a, you know, a couple of months. And as you know, Morrison's right next door here. We're in the process of negotiating the lease there. So, uh, but the, the agreement has been made, so we're just waiting for the planning commission to come through. So hopefully by the end of uh, this year or the beginning of next year, we'll be in Morrison's right next door. Not, not, not in the fruit and veg aisle, but <laughs> above... Um, you know, above the dentist. So there's the two floors for lease there. So that's where we'll be. So a permanent base. So very exciting. Okay, today's, as well as launching North today, we're going to be kicking off an entirely new series uh, in the Bible. If you've been with us over the last few months, you'll know we've been working through Proverbs, looking at relationships. Today, we kick off a new series in the book of Acts. So that is the plan. And a uh, the unfortunate thing about this venue, I notice there's a huge clock right behind me. But from here on in, I want you to ignore the clock and listen to Da Preacher, okay? So let's pray and commit this to God. Father in heaven, thank you for your love for us. Thank you, God, for the privilege of being able to serve you, Lord, in this wonderful city. And thank you for the opportunity of moving into a new area as a church, Lord. And to be honest, it's not a new area for us because I know as a church, many of these precious folks have lived in this area for years. So all we're doing is starting a worship service in the area where our church has already been living. And I just pray, God, as we're here and as we're going through Acts, I ask that you would redo Acts among us, that we would see the amazing things they saw in the book of Acts happen in our day and age. God, speak, I pray, through me, through the other preachers over this season. Help us to have ears to hear. Transform our lives, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as a church, oh, thanks, Alex. As a church, we absolutely love the Bible. We, we see it as the Word of God. And we want to do everything we can, not to try and build our lives and church on how we would want to build it, but rather we want to let God's Word speak and we want to build according to what God says. So, that's, that's our agenda as a church. So, that's how we approach the Bible. When we come to the book of Acts, it's in the New Testament. And it's, it's what happens after Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, and then it's the book of Acts. What happened next? What happened to the 12 disciples? What happened to the world? How is it that today one-third of the world's population would call themselves followers of Jesus? And, you know, how did that all begin? So that's where we're at. And it's very apt as we're launching a new location that we're in that zone. So Acts was written by a guy called Luke, and Luke was a doctor. 
he's interestingly the only non-Jewish writer in the Bible. He's a Gentile. And, and that, I guess that kind of gives you the flavor, even the, that very fact gives you the flavor of what Acts is all about. It's about taking the message of God's love to a world who never heard about God's love. And in the book of Acts, it goes out and reaches beyond the Jewish parameters. Paul was, Jude, sorry, Luke was Paul's traveling companion. So he was alongside the apostle Paul. And Luke wrote Luke and Acts, and it takes up about 30% of the entire New Testament. So it's a huge, content-wise, it's the biggest, Luke wrote the most verses in the entire New Testament. And I want us to, as we approach this series, I don't want us to approach this series as scholars. I want us to rather approach this series as soldiers. You see, a scholar would approach Acts considering what people used to do. A soldier will approach the book of Acts with the mentality of, God, what still remains to be done? A scholar would approach Acts desiring to find out information, but a soldier would approach Acts desiring to be equipped for formation, transformation, and to go on mission. So we're approaching this as soldiers. Say, aye, aye, captain. Okay, before we get into verse one, let me give you a bit of sense of what I think verse one's about. I remember when I was 19 years old, I was down in Wales at a Bible conference. And when I was there, it was, it was a huge thing. It was about 6,000 people were there, and there was fantastic worship time and great Bible teaching, and it was just an awesome time. And that morning, as I was out praying, before I went to the morning session, I heard God speak to me. He said to me that in that morning meeting, there were going to be miracles. He told me. I heard him clear. People were going to get healed in that service. I knew it. So I went, and I wasn't leading the meeting. I was just an attender, 19 years old, attending this convention. And as I sat in that meeting the morning with thousands of people all around me, they were, we were worshiping just like we were there. And as we were worshiping, I had this sense in my heart, I just knew God was going to heal people. He told me that when I was up the hills praying that morning. Anyway, in the middle of the worship, a guy called Bryn Jones stood up. He was leading the meeting. And he said, I really feel God saying today he's going to heal people. And I wanted to jump out of my seat and say, he told me that too. <laughs> But it, it almost came as no surprise. I, I knew that was exactly what was going to happen. And then we went back into worship. And then one after the other, people came up. Just as we were worshiping, no one was praying for them. People were getting miraculously healed. One lady who had had a lump, a large lump in her breast, during the worship, it had just shrunk and disappeared. There was another person who had had difficulty walking. They were able to walk. The arthritis, the severe arthritis in the knee had gone. And it was just one after the other, people came up like a stream being miraculously healed in that gathering. And then the, the weeks, so the days that followed, every day they were reading out notes of people who had gone away to doctors and got verified what had happened in that service. It was incredible. But what I was blessed by was the fact that, God, you told me that. You told me what you were going to do, and I just got to watch what you said you were going to do. Right? A year ago, 12 months ago, we as a church took a season, 10 days maybe, to pray and fast and ask God, God, what do you want to do? And God spoke to us very clearly about what we're calling a 2020 vision. In fact, let's just quickly show that film clip. 2020 vision is what God said 
he wanted to do through lots of prophecies and a real strong sense of the Lord. Here's what it's all about. What does it mean to be a successful church? You know, if success was about being a big church, we've done pretty well. But is it not more about how can we impact every single man, woman and child in this city and region with the good news about God's love? Well, that wasn't really a film clip. (laughs) So God spoke to us about 2020 Vision. We've got a booklet at the back. Grab it at the end if, you've, if you're completely unfamiliar with 2020 Vision. It's, it's the sense that God told us, and, and what God put in our hearts was to start four new locations in this city. To go from being in one church in two locations to being one church in six locations after five years. It's such an exciting journey. And so just in that same sense that God spoke to me in Wales and gave me that sense that God was going to heal people in that service, one year ago he spoke to us about launching this location. And we're just going to get to watch what Jesus does. Acts chapter 1 verse 1 says this, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began, say began, say it louder, began, to do and to teach. The word began is the key word in our understanding of the book of Acts, because what Jesus began to do and teach was the gospels. So Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, And in the Gospel of Luke, he talked about how Jesus lived, how he healed the sick, how he raised the dead, how he taught great things. And then he went on to, you know, explain his teachings. And at the end of it, they crucified him. And on the third day, he rose again. And that was all that Jesus did. And we think that was amazing. Wasn't Jesus's life great? End of that. Now the book of Acts. But that's not how it goes. According to the book of Acts, uh, it starts by saying, okay, that was just what Jesus began to do. The book of Acts is about what Jesus has continued to do. Now, the book of Acts is about the mission and the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke's Gospel, Volume 1, is about the Gospel. And here's the truth. Before you can get into mission, before you can get into the Holy Spirit, you've got to have a foundation. You've got to understand the Gospel. You've got to understand that there is a man called Jesus who is fully God, fully man, who died on the cross to take away your sin. He rose again on the third day. He's alive right now. He's the certified savior of the world. And by believing in him, your life can be changed. That's the foundation. And then from that foundation, we can now go on and do mission. And it's with that foundation, we do what we're doing today in the north. Jesus, at the end of the gospel, on the cross, cried out in a loud voice, it is finished. It it literally translates, it is complete. And what he was saying in that moment as he died and breathed his last on the cross was this, job done. I have accomplished all that was necessary for the salvation of every single man, woman, and child on planet earth. My blood has been shed to take away all their sin so that through me, every person can be saved. And the resurrection endorsed the claim. When he said it is finished, his work was completed. And yet, it had just begun. Say began. You see, the gospel, the three years of Jesus' ministry, death and the cross, resurrection, was all that was necessary for you to be saved. But the book of Acts is the implementation of that salvation on earth. The gospel was his work for us. The book of Acts is what he's going to do 
and what he did through us. The work of salvation has ended. The work of saving has just begun. That's what the book of Acts starts with. So when you see the blind eyes opened, that's just the beginning. When you saw those people raised from the dead, that was just the beginning. When you saw the huge crowds of people gathering to hear Jesus, that's just, my friends, that's just the beginning of what Jesus is doing. When you saw entire towns and villages transformed by the love of God and by the power of God, it's just the beginning, just the tip of the iceberg of what Jesus is going to do. So I believe this is not just about what he did 2,000 years ago. I believe it's exactly about what God wants to do in our time-space world today. So what's Jesus doing today? What's he doing? Well, he's told us what he'd be doing. Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The only thing on planet earth that will take ground back successfully from the power and the dominion of darkness this, this world is a mess. You see it on the news every time. You see it in your life consistently. And we see the pain and the anguish of the world. And it's because this world is turned away from God. And the only thing through which this world can be won back to him is this vehicle called the church carrying this message called the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the only mechanism. It is the hope of the world, the local church. We are the vehicle through which God plans to bring transformation. So why would God inspire us alongside the other churches to launch something in the north? Why would he do that? Because it is the vehicle by which he claims back territories. The gates of Hades cannot prevail against it. It's not a defensive statement. It's not an offensive statement. It's a defensive statement. The church is advancing. The territories can't stop it. Ground has been taken. I remember when we started the church, me and Ange, in 1998, 17 years ago, uh, I was 22 years old then, and, you know, we, we launched the church. And just before we went out to launch, Andrew Owen, uh, who's the apostle I work under, uh, he laid hands on me and Angie, and there was a whole lot of others, and we were commissioned to come and do this work in Edinburgh. And a prophecy was brought at that point, and, and this is the prophecy. Uh, Andrew brought this prophecy. He said, don't worry, says the Lord, about building the church. Don't think I must build the church. Don't think I've got to produce a church. Forget it, says the Lord. I said I would build my church. Don't you worry about that. This is what I want you to do. Reach the lost. Love the unlovable. Show compassion to those who have never felt it. Share the good things I have done with you. Gather and share. Share and gather. That's all. That was my commission as I came out here. This sense that I didn't have to build a church. I just get to watch him building what he said he would build. On the back of World War II, the German Luftwaffe had devastated an entire village on the outskirts of Strasbourg. And there was a little church in that village. And actually, it had largely been saved through the bombings, apart from one statue, a statue of Jesus, which had, uh, around it, there had been devastation. But the statue of Jesus is pretty much intact, apart from the hands of the statue. The hands were, had been broken off. And on the foot of the statue, had this inscription saying, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. So on the back of the war, a sculptor was brought in with the job of repairing some of the damaged bits and pieces around the church. And when he came to the statue, uh, he, he was planning very simply to repair the hands of the statue. And as he was chatting to the pastor of the church, the pastor of the church says, no, don't repair the hands of the statue, just change the inscription. So he changed the inscription and underneath this statue of Jesus, it now says, this statue with no hands, it says, I have no hands but your hands. And the truth is this, 
Jesus is building his church. It just gets to be the point where we get to be partners with him in it. He chooses to do it, not absent from us or apart from us, but he chooses to build his church through us and with us. So today, Jesus walks into the north as we do this. He walks into the north. As his people are here, he's among us, as he is among the other churches in this area, and he walks in a special way into the north. So first of all, it's his ministry. It's not our ministry, it's his. Second thing I want to say from the book of Acts is, it's his might. Let's go on in the verses. You know, all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. You imagine that 40 days with Jesus, risen from the dead, and they get to hang out with Jesus. In one other place in the Bible, it says that there was about 500 people who had that experience. As Jesus was alive, they met him. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait, say wait, for the gift that my father has promised, which he said you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He said, wait, wait until you receive power. Now you imagine how these disciples were feeling right now. You imagine the roller coaster they've been on. They've just spent three years with Jesus. They've seen all that he did. They saw all that he taught. They were blown away by it. But then the darkest moment of their life comes when they see him crucified. All of a sudden, it is the worst point in their entire lives. And then three days later, having gone from the worst moment in their lives, they experience the best moment in their lives. When Jesus, who they saw crucified, they now see him alive with the scars in his hands where the nails were. And all of a sudden, you imagine emotionally, where are they at now, right? Woo! I mean, you have to peel them off the roof. They are, they are they're mind blown. They're so excited. This Jesus, we saw him crucified. He is, a, he is who he claimed to be. He's alive. They are, they are just, they're excited. Now, if he had just said, right, now go change the world, they would have just done it right there, right? They didn't need anything more. They were buzzing. They knew what they had seen. They were going to go and change the world. No one was going to stop them. But it's almost like he kind of had to hold them by the neck. Wait, whoa, whoa, wait. They were so excited. Just slow down, wait, wait. It's like, as a kid, I remember Saturday afternoon, I'd be playing football, and um, my mum would say, Peter, come here. And I'd say, oh no, she's interrupting my busy afternoon, all the important things I'm trying to do. So I'd, I'd, she'd, I'd say, what is it? And she'd say, I need you to go to the shops and get some shopping for us. I'd say, oh, mom. Mom, I'm in the middle of an important game of football. So she'd give me the list of all the things she wants me to get, and I would grab the list, and I would run out the door as quick as I could. I had to just get this over and done with, and so I went and got all the shopping, got, all to, got to the tech, checkout, and then I suddenly realized, oh no, I didn't hang around long enough to get the money. I was so eager to get out the door, I didn't have the money from mom to buy the foods. So I had to humbly go all the way back home, get the money, and then go back and buy it. And I guess that could have been what it was like with the disciples. They had seen Jesus, they'd seen him die, then they'd seen him rise from the dead, and they knew he was the savior of the world. Now they were ready to go and change the world. But it's almost like Jesus said, whoa, wait, you need some currency. If you're going to deliver in this one, if you're going to change the world, you need more than human enthusiasm. You need a lot more than just a very convinced argument. You need, you need even more than a human witness. You need divine witness. 
You need the Holy Spirit. And do you know what, folks? Actually, I think the danger is, I think that same thing is said to us today. I think many of us want to go on just sheer enthusiasm and try and change North Edinburgh. Or we go in sheer enthusiasm, hoping that we can change the world. You can't change the world on enthusiasm. You can only, it's only by the power of God that the world, you can't save a soul. You can't heal a sick body. We can't change an area, but God can. And God chooses to only do it through us, not apart from us, but through us and with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. And in our instant society, we hate that four-letter word, wait. We hate it. We want things now. And they waited. And it was only 10 days. They waited 10 days, and then the Holy Spirit came. And next week, or two weeks' time, we're going to look at that in the verses. And then it goes on in verse 6. When, then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and dates that the Father has set by his own authority. I'm not going to dwell on this, but I just want to make a point. Do you know that there's lots of prophecies in Scripture about Israel and about the return of Christ and about all these really important issues? But did you know that good prophecies can become a distraction if they fill our minds beyond the point that God wanted them to fill our minds? Did you know that? Many Christians become very consumed and intrigued with theologies, especially regarding Israel and the return of Jesus. And you, you'll know as a church, we don't beat the drum too loudly about those theologies. I, I have no problem with, I, I love Israelite people. I love the land of Israel. I love, the, I, I believe in the return of Christ. But you know what? The best thing you can do for Israel is to share the gospel in Edinburgh. Let me read you a verse. Romans 11, verse 25. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. In other words, the best thing you could do for Israel is reach North Edinburgh. Because apparently, when the full number of the Gentiles come in, then God will do something in Israel. So Jesus is saying, don't get all caught up, guys, with the ins and outs and the nuts and bolts. Let the Father deal with that. Instead, I want you to be my witnesses. Don't get distracted with things which God will deal with. But they are secondary things as far as you're concerned, because the primary thing as far as you're concerned is go make disciples, go share this message, go tell them about the resurrection of the Savior. Same with end-time theology. I believe in the return of Christ. There might be some differences in views and how that all, amillennial, premillennial, post, okay, I don't know. The Bible says lots of things. But do you know that the second coming of Jesus won't happen until the first coming had full impact on earth? That's what I do know. And you want to know, of all the signs of the return of Christ, there is one that is crystal clear. The one that we can all agree on is this one. Ready? Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So while I can't understand all the signs and why we might debate some of the signs, and we might not be so clear, and some people claim to be clear, I'm not so sure, and other people claim to be clear in this, I'm not so sure, but this is one I'm sure on that when this gospel has, the second coming will only happen when the first comings had full impact on planet earth. The gospel, the good news about Jesus' first coming, death, resurrection on the cross for the salvation of all people. That's when, when that's impacted this area, this world, then Jesus will come. So the best thing you can do for Israel is impact Edinburgh with the gospel. And the best thing you can do to usher in the second coming of Jesus is impact Edinburgh with the gospel. 
So you see him backing you into corner, folks. And so now Jesus is backing you into corner, folks. He wants us to impact Edinburgh. Going on in the verse of verse 8a, but you will receive power, say power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. There was a Swedish chemist one day working in a laboratory. He had developed an explosive substance through his chemistry. He phoned his friend who happened to be a Greek scholar, and he asked him, what is the Greek word for power? And he took the words, and that was the name he gave to this explosive substance, which we now know as dynamite. The Greek word for power is dunamis. It's the word, same word, the Greek, the, the Swedish chemist called his explosive substance dynamite, dunamis. And here it says, Jesus said, you will receive dunamis. Now, dunamis, power, isn't just strength. It's also ability. You see, you think you can solve things just by sheer strength, and you know that's not always the case. You need strength and ability. And the word dunamis in the Greek language infers not just power, but also power and ability. He gives us power and ability to bring transformation in an area. He gives you power and an ability to touch the lives of people. He will give you power to witness. Remember, it says in verse 1, we read it earlier, all that Jesus began to do and teach. You remember that? And when we think about the, the teaching of Jesus or the miracles of Jesus, if you're honest, some of you kind of think, uh, that's because he was God. You know, he, I know he, he opened blind eyes, but he's God. Or, you know, raising the dead. Okay, it, I mean, it's impressive, but he is God, you know. You know, that water skiing behind a boat without a rope, water skiing on the water without a boat thing. I mean, I know it's impressive, but he is God, of course. So God can, you know, and sure, Jesus was tempted. I understand Jesus was tempted, but you have to understand that he's God. So really, was it that much of a temptation? Really? Honestly, God? In our minds, we kind of think, Jesus, we think, you were, we think you're cheating, really. <laughs> you're God, okay? But the truth is this. When you come to the Gospels, you discover it says he grew in favor with God and with men. It says, he, I mean, he had to learn Scripture like we. It's not just like he wrote it, so ding, download, I know it all. No, no, he had to learn Scripture. He had to... Uh, he, the Bible says he got hungry. He got tired. He operated as a man in the power of the Holy Spirit. It teaches us in uh, Philippians chapter 2 verse 7 that Jesus, when he was on earth, didn't come as a person operating as God. Jesus is fully God. He didn't cease being God when he became a man. He always has and always will be God. However, Philippians 2.7 says he restricted his activities as God and restricted himself to operating as just a man under the power of the Spirit. So all of a sudden, I know that you think, okay, Jesus, you were God, so that's why you... But you have to understand, he faced the temptation. He didn't lean into the divinity at that moment. He operated in his humanity in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as he healed the sick, he didn't, in that moment, lean into his divinity. In that moment, he operated as a man by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's incredible. 
And the truth is, Jesus didn't start his ministry until he had waited for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came at his baptism. And that was the moment at which his ministry began. And in the same way, God calls us to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit, and then ministry begins. John chapter 14, verse 12 says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Right, that's an amazing verse. So amazing, I want you to have the privilege of reading it too. Ready? One, two, three. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, Jesus said, will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Wow! You think, you're kidding me. Well, you thought you were going to think that. So he started it by saying, very truly I tell you. In other words, you're going to think I'm lying here, but I'm telling you the truth. And when we read that verse, we think, no, surely not. And you notice why? He says, because. Because what? Because I'm going to the Father. Just as the cross triggered your salvation, so the ascension back to the Father triggered an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all believers. He he said, you're going to do even greater things. Why? Because I go to the Father. And he's talking about the giving of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about. You can expect to see even greater miracles because it's the same Holy Spirit flowing through you. The truth is this. Jesus did miracles on earth in his ministry. Jesus is still doing miracles today. He just does it through you and me. So what's the problem? That Jesus might do greater things through us than he did in his earthly ministry? It's all Jesus. It's not like, all right, these ones were us and they were Jesus. No, no. It's all Jesus. It's his might. So number one, it's his ministry. Number two, it's his might. Number three, it's his message. He said in verse, the second part of verse 8, and you will be my witnesses. Say witnesses. Now, if you're going to stand in a courtroom, they don't expect you to stand there and give your opinions or tell a story. <laughs> when you stand in a courtroom, they expect you to tell the things you've seen and experienced and the things you know to be true. That's what it means to be a witness. Being a witness isn't telling stories, isn't telling hearsay, isn't sharing myths or legends. Being a witness means sharing the things you have known and experienced. I remember in high school, I was about the same age as my kids, maybe second, third year high school. I remember sitting in the RME class, the religious education class. I remember sitting there, and I wasn't at that point a follower of Jesus. And I remember one of the, the, the teacher was asking people about their faith and who has faith in, uh, who's a Christian here. And one girl stood up and said, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. And the teacher asked her about her faith. And she described really clearly about her faith in Jesus. And she said that in a few weeks' time, I'm going to be getting baptized. And I remember, folks, it was like an arrow into my heart. You know, it wasn't that she said it amazingly. It wasn't that she articulated it just perfectly. It's just that I knew it to be true. I just knew what she said was so true. It was like I'd heard a witness in a courtroom and I just heard the truth. I remember a couple of years after that, I was 15 years old by this point, and a girl that I knew called Alexandra had been in South Africa. In South Africa, she'd become a believer in Christ 
And she came back and she told me and my friends, we hung out with her one evening, and she was telling me and my friends about her faith in Jesus. And you know what? I'd been taken to church. I'd heard about God, but it was never real. But right there, it all of a sudden became incredibly real. I just knew this was the truth. And that night, in a little lane at the back of my house, I made a decision to become a follower of Jesus. He became, he was so real. And again, folks, it wasn't the way, it wasn't like the, the wisdom with which they shared it or their clever arguments. It was just the truth of it. Man, it impacted me. And if I was to go around the room with a microphone, I'm sure there'd be umpteen stories of people saying, yeah, I remember that moment. It wasn't the incredibleness of the preacher. It was just the truth of it. It just hit me. It's a witness. And Jesus is calling you to be a witness. 39 times in the book of Acts, they are called witnesses. But notice he doesn't just say you're to witness about, you know, church is cool and the Christian faith is awesome and hey, the Bible's great. That's not witnessing. Jesus says you are to be my witnesses. So we're not witnessing about stuff about God. We're not witnessing about church and we're witnessing about Jesus. We're telling people about Jesus Christ. He is our message. He's the one that we're proclaiming. It, it says in Colossians chapter 1 verse 28, he is the one we proclaim. Do you know what message we come to North Edinburgh with? Jesus. You know what the solution to all, and I mean that, all of North Edinburgh's problems? Jesus. He's the solution to the richest of the rich in North Edinburgh. He is the solution to the poorest of the poor in North Edinburgh. He is, maybe today you're not, maybe today you don't know God. He loves you so much. Jesus is the answer to your life. Why? Because no one else has died to take away your sin. That's your problem, and therefore your answer comes from the one who solved the problem. He's the one who's risen from the dead. He loves you more than you ever know. He's alive. He's your savior. So our message isn't us. Our message isn't, hey, Destiny Church is cool. Our message is, Jesus Christ is alive, risen from the dead. He's the certified savior of the world, and he can be your savior and your deliverer and your redeemer. Trust in him. He is our message. Does anyone say amen to that truth? Our mission is Jesus. John 15, 26, Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, he will testify about me. So guess who else is witnessing? The Holy Spirit is witnessing. So see, when you're sharing your faith, and see when I'm telling you about Jesus, you might have all these arguments in your mind against it. Your friends might argue against it. They might give you all their arguments for, for atheism or whatever. But I have to tell whatever. But I have to tell you, the Holy Spirit. It's not just me. It's not like my argument versus your argument. We have a slightly winning edge here. God himself. See when you're saying, atheist, God loves you and Jesus died for you. And, and they're saying, whatever. The Holy Spirit is in their heart saying, you know it's true. You're just saying that. Listen to the guy. And the Holy Spirit's right on in there. It's going on behind the scene. And they're almost like, mm, they don't know what's going on because the Holy Spirit is witnessing to the truth. The Holy Spirit is not pointing people to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is pointing people to Jesus. By the way, a true charismatic move won't celebrate the Holy Spirit. A true charismatic move will celebrate Jesus because that's the Holy Spirit's entire mission is to point people to correct answer. And you know, here's the, let me just flip it a little bit further. It's not just us testifying to Jesus. It's Jesus testifying through us. See, when he says, you'll be my witnesses, he literally also means that he will witness through you. 
Listen to how the Apostle Paul speaks to some people who become believers in a place called Ephesus, which is in Asia Minor. He said this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. He's, Paul's writing to this church in Galatia, sorry, in Ephesus, and he's saying, he came, talking about Jesus, he came and preached peace to you. I mean, we didn't know Jesus had been in Turkey, right? When was Jesus there? Well, apparently, Jesus was there when Paul turned up, and when uh, Apollos was there, and when some of the disciples of Jesus turned up and started sharing their faith. Apparently, that was Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Jesus came and preached peace to you. So today, Jesus is preaching peace to you, North. Where? I know, through me, and through the folks who welcomed you to the door, and through this whole church. Jesus Christ is among us. It's an incredible thought. So here's the truth. When you became a believer in Jesus and you heard that news about Jesus, guess who spoke to you directly? Jesus did. It was, I know it came through someone. I think, I should just heard Jesus. They just happened to be the vessel through which that message came. Let me give you another verse. Ephesians 4, 20 to 21. You didn't learn Christ in this way if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him. Jesus literally speaks through people, if indeed you have heard him. You know, the other word, the other aspect of this word witness is the word witness in the Greek language means martyr. That's literally what, what it translates, martyr. Um, three, four weeks ago, one of our church leaders in India, destiny church leader in India, lost his life as a martyr. He was shot in the middle of the night because he's a follower of Jesus. Now, that isn't a reality for us here in the West. We're very grateful to God for the security and safety we experience. It's not the case around the world, though. There are more martyrs for Jesus today than there ever have been. In the New Testament times, many people, it cost them everything to share about Jesus. So, here's the thing. I'm not saying you've got to be this kind of have this martyr complex and you're going to die for this thing. You, but you've got to believe in it enough that if it came to that, you would. And at, at least, at least, that you'd be bothered enough to tell someone, even if they weren't going to kill you, that we'd be bothered enough about their eternal well-being, that even if it didn't mean that we were shot for telling someone, why is it in parts of the world where that threat hangs over? The believers are so zealous, even with that threat there, that they're still telling. And yet here we are in the West where we've got so many comforts, and we ain't that radical. I'm not talking about being radical in the wrong sense, in a kind of weird, fanatical way. I'm, talking about, I'm, I'm just talking about being deeply passionate. You see, the truth is this. I believe in Jesus. You could hold a gun at my head and say, deny that you believe Jesus is alive. And I would have to say, I'm, I can't. Shoot. Shoot. I can't deny him. I couldn't deny him. That's what it means to be a witness. It's so, it's got to the point where you're willing to die so that others can hear this message about life. And that's what the apostles were like. And I have to say, I just want to urge you to be the same. Be that committed saying, God, I just want my generation to hear about your love. And I'm willing to do anything to see that happen. Just a simple way you can do this. Just this week, let me make it really now for us. We've got thousands of leaflets going out in this area. Maybe, maybe a few of you are here because you've got a leaflet. And these leaflets are cool. It invites people to this service on a Sunday. Now, our message isn't us, right? 
but I guess we've got to get people along to hear the message. So we've got piles of leaflets at the back, is that right? And we've got maps as well. Yep. So at the back, at the information desk, if you have got an hour to give this, uh, this week, go and take some leaflets, go and take a map, and leaflet only in the area that the map indicates. And we've got 20,000 leaflets in total. Already a large number have gone out. How many do you reckon? About half of them have already gone out. It would be a real shame uh, to lose 10,000 leaflets. That's 10,000 opportunities missed. So I encourage you, could you take 1,000? Could you take 500? Could you take a bundle of leaflets and a map before you go today? And at some point today or in this next week, get them out. And when you put them out, be praying for the precious people behind those doors as you're putting them through the letter boxes. Who's up for that? Overwhelming. Thank you so much. Wow, you're so not like Leith and Gorgie. So it's his ministry, it's his might, it's his message. Fourthly, it's his master plan. Jesus said, be my witnesses, verse 8c, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. And right there, he gives them the, the strategy, the master plan for how it's going to go. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. And actually, he's also given us the outline for the book of Acts. Jerusalem is, the impact in Jerusalem is Acts chapter 1 to 7. The, the impact in Judea and Samaria is Acts chapters 8 right through to chapter 12. And the impact to the ends of the earth is chapter 13 right to chapter 28 and continues today. And here we see in Acts chapter 1, Jerusalem, they impacted hugely. You see 120 people gathering. The Holy Spirit fell. All of a sudden, the church grew from 120 to 3,000 people in a day on the day of Pentecost. We'll, we'll read about that in a few weeks' time. It was incredible. Apparently, the church grew there to about between, 30, between 15 and 30,000 people in a population which had 60,000 people in it. So almost up to half the population of Jerusalem were in that church. It was incredible. And then a persecution was unleashed against the church. And Acts chapter 8, all of a sudden, because of the persecution, they went out into all these different places. Did you know that sometimes going into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, it sounds very strategic, right? But when you read it in the book of Acts, it happens accidentally. Like, oh, we've got to run for our lives. Oh, we're fulfilling the commission. <laughs> okay. So some of you are here, and it seems by accident. Man, we were just escaping. We were uh, asylum seekers. We were, we were escaping to this country. Not, not by accident. God's got you here for purpose. Some of you, it's random that you couldn't get a job somewhere and you ended up here. It's by design. So it all happened in different ways, but then it went Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And at the end of the book of Acts, between Acts 13 and 28, we see the gospel spreading to Europe, Africa, and Asia. Christianity, within 280 years of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, became the world's dominant religion. With seven million followers of Jesus in the Roman Empire alone, which had 50 million people living in it. That's seven million people in Rome who were believers despite the risks, despite possible confiscation of property, potentially being martyrs, and certainly being persecuted in all different, losing jobs, being prejudiced against because there are believers in Jesus. Acts chapter 1 starts in Jerusalem, the center of world religion. Acts chapter 28 ends in Rome, the center of the secular world. And it's exactly always been the agenda of God that this message of God's love will go from the in-house people to every single person in the communities. 
That's why, by God's grace, He's called us to launch churches. It's great to have Ammon and Comfort here today. Ammon and Comfort, stand up, turn around, wave to these folks. Show, show your appreciation for these guys. Now, these guys, uh, they were part of our church a number of years ago. They served in the choir. Uh, they, they were part of the church very much in small group, and they were part of the church community. And today, they're leading Destiny Church Gombe in northern Nigeria. And in, in, it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. And I'm in comfort that have chosen, to, by God's leading, to be planting a church in an area that is very, very dangerous. If you heard of the Boko Haram, uh, they're very active in that area. There are, I, I get regular contact with these guys, and, and I often get messages saying we couldn't have church this Sunday because of the threats by terrorists. Um, as, as people are coming to faith in Jesus who have been Muslims, they literally have to bring them to hiding to protect them for the, for the sake of their lives, protect them from their relatives or communities if they find out that they've turned to Christ. So this is the territory that they're in. But this is, this is our family, just extending to the ends of the earth. And what I love being is I love that we're an international church that will in time go on to plant international churches, that, that we have the privilege of being a gathering place as a city, and then we become, as a church, a scattering community where we send precious people like this out to plant churches and make a difference in wonderful parts of the world. Show your appreciation again for these awesome people. <clears throat> and closer to home, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, our region, that's what 2020 Vision's about. God has called us in the next five years to launch four new locations. This is the first of them. To refurbish our two buildings, Gorgon and Leith, and to see the orphanage finished in India through the tide of everything we raise. Already, you're here. Whew. Okay, and, and people have given us 700,000 pounds being given to underwrite these launches and some of the refurb work. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Thank you, God. In Scotland, 51% of people in Scotland call themselves Christian. Interestingly, 17%, according to just this year, there was Barner research was carried out in Scotland. 17% of people in Scotland say that they've had a conversion experience and accepted Jesus. I mean, that's, that's crazy, right? So there's 17% of people out there who are not connecting with churches, but at some point, and it might just be skin deep, but at some point they maybe went to a Billy Graham crusade or they had a, a childhood conversion experience, but they've been touched by God. And part of what we want to see here as a location is that we reconnect many of those people back to the family of God, those lost sheep. Let's see them reconnect with a fold. 3% of Scottish adults are evangelical. What does that mean? It means that they believe in the Bible, they trust Jesus as their Savior. 3%, they're very clear in their faith. 69% of the adults in Scotland view the church as a positive influence in society. Isn't that great? You think about all the work with the food banks and the debt counseling and all the things that are armies of people around churches, and this church included, making a huge difference. It gives such credibility in our city. According to the East of Scotland Gospel Partnership, there are 840,000 people living in Edinburgh and the Lothians. An estimated 40,000 of them are connecting with church. And that's all types of church. That's 800,000 people who are not connecting with church and potentially not connecting with God. I can't sleep with that. So by His grace, I take this commission seriously. Jesus did do stuff in, in the Gospels. He continues to do stuff in the book of Acts. He is doing stuff today. I believe He were called to be on this mission. We are commissioned 
to this mission of Jesus Christ in our generation. So finally, it's his ministry. Secondly, it's his might. Thirdly, it's his message. And fourthly, it's his master plan. But finally, he's the motive. Verses 9 to 10. After this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. When they were looking intently up into this, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. You know, anyone seen a kid with a helium balloon? Right? What eventually happens to that balloon? Inevitably. I mean, they enjoy floating and holding it, right? What eventually happens though? It's got to happen. They're going to let go and it's going to go up. And what happens at that moment? Everyone around them stares and watches it disappear. <laughs> and I, I, it must have been like that with Jesus. They, up he went. Maybe, maybe one of the disciples says, should we not have tied a string to him? Right? So but off, off he went. He ascended bodily in front of their very eyes. Jesus said in John 16, 7, I tell you the truth. And again, it's one of those moments where he says, I'm telling you the truth. And why does he say that? Here's why. I said it before. He's telling us that because we're going to read what he's about to say and we're going to think, nah. All right? You ready for it? Here it comes. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. And we say, nah. I mean, if you were one of the disciples, would you have said, yeah, that's right, Jesus. On you go. No, you'd have said, no, this is great. Just here. You see, it's, it's easy being a Christian with Jesus here, right? You know, you get a bad thought. I know what you're thinking. Okay, it's easy being a follower of Jesus. Witnessing is easy. Look, here's Jesus. Everything's easier if Jesus is here. But Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. Why? For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. Jesus knew this, that the coming of the Holy Spirit into this world would cause this thing to go viral. Jesus never intended it be that he alone would bring the impact. Jesus being one place at one time, restricted in his bodily form, as he ascended to the Father, he, he left time, space, realm, entered the realm of God, this realm of omniscience. And in his omniscience, he is present by his spirit in every believer. So that all of a sudden, where does Jesus go? Well, Jesus walks into the north and Jesus goes where you go and we become his address on planet earth. Jesus starts infiltrating society through his people. Peter C. Wagner said this, for the purposes of carrying out the task of evangelizing the world, the immediate presence of the third person of the Trinity is more helpful than the immediate presence of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. Folks, there's never been a man like Jesus who healed the sick and raised the dead. But since then, there's been lots because his spirit is in us and it's gone viral. And then he goes on in the verse and it said, then suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand looking into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. Folks, he didn't just ascend into the sky. The Bible teaches he ascended to the throne. Jesus has always been God. As far as eternity past and as far as eternity future, Jesus has always eternally existed as fully God. However, he became a man. Jesus didn't become God. He has always been God. However, Jesus became a man 2,000 years ago. And forevermore, he will be a man. Isn't that an amazing thought? He's always been God, but he hasn't always been a man. But he will from now on always be a man. And when Jesus ascended back to the Father, he ascended 
in bodily form. I have to tell you, there is a man on the throne of the universe. He's Armani. He's on the throne of the universe. It's an incredible thought. Remember, Adam lost the right to rule through sin. Today, I have to tell you, the right to rule planet earth has come back to a man. And there is a man on the throne of the universe who is king, who is Lord. Some people want, Jesus, I want you to help me with my mission. Folks, you got it wrong. He's on the throne. We get to partner with him in his mission. Jesus is king. It's all about him. He's the motive. It says Hebrews 10, verse 12 to 13, he, offer, he having offered one sacrifice for sins, one uh, for, for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, having from that time onwards, until, from that time onwards until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. Jesus is on the throne. By his spirit, he is working through us. We have a job to do. The second coming will happen when his enemies have become a footstool for his feet when the gospel has fully impacted every corner of planet earth, Jesus Christ will return. This is about him. And we're inv- we are invited to be involved with the greatest mission on planet earth. Jesus calls it the Great Commission. Go make disciples. Go be my witnesses. And one day, here's the truth, one day every one of us is going to have to stand before that king on the throne. It's an amazing thought. That's a very real thought. It's just, it's, It's just as real as you sitting here today. One day, you're going to see him. You're going to see that man on the throne, Jesus Christ. You will stand before him. And I want you to hear, and I want us to hear, well done, good and faithful. I don't want you you to hear, well, you're done. No, I I want you to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Because why? Well, we did what he was doing. We partnered with him. He was building his church. We'll do that. We got involved with what he was doing. We got empowered by his spirit. We became witnesses in a world that was often hostile to us, and yet we were witnesses. And the truth is, one day, every single person in the north of Edinburgh is going to have to stand before Jesus. And every day, hundreds of them do. And my heart aches for the precious people in this wonderful part of town who yet do not know their Creator. And I know He's done everything possible in His radical love to make their full acceptance before God possible. So we're going to do, have a cool time. We're going to be a cool community. We're going to enjoy time together. But I tell you, we're on mission. We're co-missions to share this message of God's love with this awesome part of our city. And as a church, we get to be witnesses collectively. As we're doing, as, as you're serving teas and coffees, as, you, as you're setting up technical stuff, as some are preaching, as people are leading different things, it's all one big collective. It's, it's, Emperor, Linda, others are praying and putting out leaflets. We all get to do this together. We become a collective witness for Jesus Christ. He's our message. He's our motive. It's all about Jesus. It's his power. It's his work through us. It's his ministry, not ours. This is all about Jesus Christ. So I think it'd be appropriate to end just by thanking Jesus for who he is. Let's show appreciation to him. Who's in our Let's pray. So Jesus, thank you for being center figure in in planet Earth. Thank you for being amazing. Thank you, Lord, for what you did on the cross 2,000 years ago, dying for us and rising again because of your incredible love. Thank you, God, that 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 
that was you accomplishing salvation for us. But thank you since then, Jesus, you've been very active. Thank you, you continue to do great things. Thank you, you've plant, you're, you're doing things like planting churches in Gombe, Nigeria. You're doing things like launching locations in North Edinburgh. You're doing things like healing people of cancers and diseases. You're doing things like healing people of arthritis. Jesus, you're saving souls. And we just thank you that we get to partner with you in your ministry in 2014, 2015, 2016. Thank you. We get to partner with you, Lord Jesus.